since I came to Pharaoh to speak in thy name, he hath done evil to this people, neither hast thou delivered thy people at all. Pharaoh has had his way with us, God, and you have done nothing about it. That's Moses talking to God. I want to preach to you for a little while, very heartfelt, very passionately, the lesson God teaches. The lesson God teaches. Everybody say thank the Lord for the word. Thank you for standing and you may be seated. I'm going to teach you a lesson. I heard that many times as a kid. When I did something I wasn't supposed to do, and I heard it from a lot of different people. As a matter of fact, that acclamation was um, expressed by numerous people on numerous occasions. And I, even myself, uh, profess to being guilty of saying that to someone. You did so and so, you did such and such, and I'm going to teach you a lesson. And the point is that when I'm done teaching you this lesson, you will never do that again. Sometimes that worked, and sometimes it did not. The same is true with God. I do know in my own personal life, I have had Him teach me the same lesson on numerous occasions. And it took several times before I got the point. Anybody here today understand what I'm talking about? I want to preach to you for a little while with all of my heart about the lesson that God teaches. How many of you know here today that we serve a mighty God? Does anybody, does anybody know that? Do you feel real confident with that? That we serve a mighty, amazing God. Thank the Lord. And we, we love to sit around, stand around, and talk about the wonderful, miracle-working power of Almighty God. He is truly a mighty God. He has all power in His hand. There is nothing that is too hard for God to do. I can make that statement here at Grace Church because... Some of us have experienced that. It's not just a generic statement. It's not just something biblical. It's something that some of us have experienced when you've gone up against all the odds and God comes through. Then you can say, there is nothing too hard for God. Usually what we do to... Uh, classify that statement and to give it merit is when we're up against something that we can't do. When we're up against something a doctor can't do, a lawyer can't do, a bank can't do, uh, whatever it is, and you go to God with it and He does it and we turn around and say, man, there's nothing too hard for God. So we classify that statement when something is too hard for us. But I want to submit to you this morning that any problem you might have right now any problem going on in your life right now, or one you may even have in the future, is not too hard for God to solve. It is not. There's nothing that is too hard for the Lord. Praise the Lord. The praise team just saying that 
When I go through the water, I won't be overcome. When I, I won't be afraid and all of that. The reason we can say that is because we know no matter where we find ourselves in in life, there's no place we go where God can't reach. And there's no place we can go that He can't bring us back from because there's nothing too hard for God. Hallelujah. Thank the Lord. Any situation that is relative to your particular set of very unique circumstances from your life is not too big for God to deal with and to take care of. So it doesn't matter what the problem is. It doesn't matter what the need is. It doesn't matter what the situation is. It doesn't matter what the adversity is. Because we serve a mighty God. Doesn't matter how strong the storm is. It doesn't matter how fierce the winds are. It doesn't matter how high the floodwaters are. It doesn't matter how bad it looks to everybody around you. It doesn't matter how serious it looks right now because God is well able to meet your need in just one instant of time because He is a mighty, mighty, mighty God. Hallelujah. Because God is well able. If you have a financial need here today, it's no problem for God. If you need healing here today, it's no problem for God. If there's something marital going on in your life, it's not a problem for God. If you need salvation here today, it's no problem for God. If you need deliverance here today, it's not a problem for God. Any need at all, it doesn't matter. It's not a problem with God. Somebody clap your hands here this morning. Hallelujah. Our God is a mighty God, and He is able. The Word of God says, But my God shall supply all your needs according to His abundant riches and glory. The Bible said, Now unto Him who is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we're able to ask or think. He is always able to cause us to triumph. He is always able to bring the victory. He is a mighty, mighty, powerful, awesome, wonderful God. And somebody shout yes. Hallelujah. Now, all of you know when you hear a sermon like this, it starts off like this one. It's going to turn a corner here in a minute. And the GPS just said, take a right right up here at the next intersection. So that's what we're going to do. So as mighty as God is, as powerful as God is, as glorious as God is, as mighty as He is that, that all of us has experienced here today, what do you do when the answer or the solution you've been praying for doesn't come right away. I'll be honest with you. I've, I've laid in bed at night trying to go to sleep over the past several months. I've even gotten out of bed, and I mean have one of those barn-burning kind of prayer meetings in my house all by myself. I walked in our bedroom with Sister Murphy sleeping, laid hands on her while she was sleeping and prayed. 
and saying, God, I want you to do such and such right now. I want healing right now. I want encouragement right now. I want inspiration right now. And get back in bed an hour or two later and lay there and wait. Now, I asked for this. I told God that. I ask you for some things that's very reasonable. And it's things that I legitimately need. So here, I'm laying right here, and I'm going to wait. Well, I think all of us know how that story went. About an hour later, I drifted off to sleep without my prayers being met and answered at that very moment. What happens when we get a different answer than the one we expected to get? Some of us take this, I do, and I, I believe when sometimes we pray, we say we don't get an answer. In reality, we do get an answer. It's not the one we want. It's, uh, I, I've seen this happen on video clips on YouTube in times past when that fella is in love with that girl and Man, that, what, that is his dream come true, and she's everything he ever wanted. And he gets down on one knee and says, will you marry me? And she looks him dead in the eye and says, no, and turns around and walks out. Now, you can take your kid to Walmart and not buy him that candy bar, and he or she may lay down on the floor and kick and scream and all that. But I'm going to tell you, the answer no to that question versus the answer to no to will you marry me is on two different levels. And when I pray and ask God for things, I'm kind of like the guy asking the girl to marry me. I want an answer, and I want it to be yes. So what do you do when you pray and things get worse instead of better? What happens when deliverance is delayed? Why do we face difficulties? Why do we face difficulties even when we're doing what God wants us to do. Even when you are, you know confidently that you're in the will of God. When these questions come, does that affect our view of the mighty God that we serve? Does he become less mighty? Does he become hard of hearing all of a sudden? I say that respectfully. When the answer doesn't come, do we think, of God differently. In our scripture text, Moses is literally lashing out at God because he has done exactly what God has told him to do. He has. He has followed God's commandment to the T. And instead of things getting better, they instead got worse. I've done what you told me to do, but you haven't done anything, God. I've kept my part of the bargain, but you haven't kept your part, God. You still haven't delivered us yet. You still haven't showed up yet. We are still waiting for you to do what you said you would do. I could somehow hear the bitter cries right now of Mary and Martha as they weep over the death of their brother. Jesus, where are you? Why didn't you come when we call for you to come? We heard Brother Dave several Sundays ago eloquently preach the answer to that question. He needed to wait for Lazarus to be dead for three days or more so he could prove he was a Messiah. But Mary and Martha didn't know that. And we find out Jesus even admitted 
that our friend Lazarus is dead or is sick unto death, but we're going to wait right here until he's dead. We're going to let him die. Mary and Martha didn't know that. They had called for the master to come, but he never did. And now it's too late because Lazarus is dead and Mary weeps off in a corner somewhere. God, I just don't understand. I'm so confused. And Martha moans as she falls to her knees. Jesus, I thought you would have come. I thought you were our friend. But Jesus still has not come yet. There are times in all of our lives that Things to appear to be just like that. Things appear to be hopeless. It appears to be over. It appears that God has turned a deaf ear to you and your cry. Your dreams are dead. It looks like God has forgotten about you. You're desperate for an answer, but no answer has come. You feel like it's too late for God to do anything concerning your situation. You feel just like Martha did when her brother died. You're too late, God. You cry out, and I've done it. God, where are you? The wind picks up every cry that comes out of your mouth and slaps it back into your face again. You stagger along like a drunken man in your spirit as the enemy delivers more and more and more adversity to you. But wait just a minute before you give up for good. Let's take another look. There's a lesson. We don't like it. Nobody likes it. I've, I've only met a handful of kids in my life that enjoy going to school. They enjoy being educated. They enjoy the test. They enjoy the exams and the quizzes. They enjoy the regimen. They enjoy sitting in a classroom and being lectured for hours every day. But by and large, every kid I know hates school, and nobody teaches them that. Bottom line, human nature does not like being taught a lesson. We like what we do, and we like the way we do it. We like the way we approach it. We like the way we assimilate it. We like the way we reason it out in our mind. We like all that stuff. And then God allows something dramatic and drastic to happen in our lives. And we cry out to him. And God says, okay, sit down for a little while. I want to teach you a lesson. And our mind and our spirit and our heart starts flip-flopping this way and that way. We're like the kid in Walmart that can't get that toy. And he lays down in the aisle and he kicks and screams and carries on. And he is going to die if he don't get that. And sometimes, once in a while, don't happen very often, but once in a while, mom and dad, or, my, or, or mom or dad will say, if you don't get up off of that floor, I'm going to teach you a lesson that you will never forget. I did that with my kids. Most of you do it with yours. There's a handful that the parents haven't learned that lesson yet. But just before you give up on God, I want you to take another look. There's a lesson I've learned. And it seems to me, this is my perspective, that off in the distance somewhere, I see God coming towards me. 
on the stormy waters of my adversity. And even though I'm looking down the rough and dusty road of adversity in my life, I see something at the end of that road. I go to this scripture, I've referred to it many times, but as Psalm 121, when David said, In a time of despair, I will lift up mine eyes unto the hills, from whence cometh my help. For my help cometh from the Lord, which made heaven and earth, and he will not suffer or allow my foot to be moved, and he that keeps me will not slumber. Behold, he that keeps Israel or the church shall never slumber nor sleep. The Lord is thy keeper. The Lord is a shade upon thy right hand. The sun shall not smite thee by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord shall preserve thee from all evil. He shall preserve thy soul. The Lord shall preserve thy going out and thy coming in from this time forth and forevermore. It's a lesson that only God can teach. When you don't see him, he's still there. When you don't feel him, he's still there. When you can't perceive him, he's still there and it's a lesson that we must all learn here today it may not be here yet but it's coming it's on the way let me preach to you today and tell you that God does all things well even when it seems like a disaster. God has his own plan and his own time clock. We don't like this stuff. We just, it just goes against everything human. God, I want you to approve my plan. I want you to agree with my plan. I feel like I need to stress this hard right now. God has his own plan and his own time clock for your life and for your deliverance. And it's never too late. God is never too late, even when we think he is. God's still in charge, and he's still on your side. I was talking to Brother Donnie Culpepper. He's been the lead the lead person on all this lighting and sound. He came in this week to, to finish up a few things. And I believe we're done with it. Praise God. Hallelujah. Glory to God. And, uh, but we were, he's from Lake Charles originally. His family's there. And we were talking about Lake Charles getting hit by that first hurricane. Was it Laura? I believe it was. And uh, both of us agreed. Why did that have to happen? And then... Just a few weeks later, they get hit with another one. And we personally knew people that were in, Lake, in the Lake Charles area that were even fighting with COVID. I mean, talk, I'm talking about good Christian people. One of the finest Christian persons I know weathered their, their home and property, weathered that storm. Meanwhile, they had been diagnosed with COVID, probably should have even died. But there's a verse in the scripture, in the, in the Bible, that we must get our, our head around today. Stand on it, believe it. That's one of my favorites, Ecclesiastes 3.11. The wise man said that he hath made everything beautiful in his time. Never ours. And somehow, 
I want to say to Lake Charles, and I believe we can qualify, all of us are qualified to say it because we've had our share of hurricane experiences. But most people I know that's been through a hurricane or even went through the 2016 flood, most everybody I know came out better on the other end of it than before. And through all of that, you were able to see the mighty hand of God. I want oftentimes to walk into Brother Dave Bunch's house where they live now. Oftentimes when I'm there, I'd like to just go off in a corner somewhere and weep and sob. When I look at their kids running around the house, their dogs running around the house, his mother going real slow around the house. But to see how disastrous their life was beginning in January of 2016 and to look where they are now. Oh my goodness, everybody prayed. Oh, everybody prayed. But he didn't get the answer when he wanted it. But he got it when God was ready to give it to him because God makes everything beautiful in his time. Hallelujah. I look back there at Melanie Tipler. She's recovered from cancer, went through a major surgery, and has had all kind of things that stepped into their home, into their lives. But somehow, when you look at where you are now, compared to where you were a few months ago, and I could go up this side and down this side and up that one and down this one, and everybody in this building should know what I'm talking about. But in the times of most difficulty, I've even come to the conclusion here a few months ago that Grace Church will never be the same again. That all we built has gone away and we'll never get it back. But little by little, I had a meeting with somebody yesterday. They're here this morning. They know who they are. But something happened to me in that meeting and I was able to proclaim to two or three people yesterday, Grace Church is coming back through all of this mess and it's even going to be better it's going to be better people here today have lost jobs and thought it was over with all the COVID and all the economy stuff going on and ended up getting a better job. Somebody testified, Kelton testified a few weeks ago that a company made him an offer. He bumped it up a little bit. They bumped it up a little bit. But finally, when they sent him the paperwork to, to, to make it all official, they even offered him more than they agreed on the telephone. It came out better than what he thought it was going to be. Why? Because God makes all things beautiful in his time. You can and you will eventually triumph over the distasteful business of hell if you're willing to patiently wait on the Lord even when the answer hasn't come yet. In Isaiah 40, Why sayest thou, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hid from the Lord, And my judgment is passed over from my God. 
Hast thou not known? Hast thou not heard that the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, fainteth not, neither is weary? There is no searching of his understanding. He gives power to the faint and to them that have no might. He increases strength. He went on to say, but they that wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Oh, we don't like the lesson God teaches. But if you'll submit to it, if you'll learn from it, you'll come out better than when you went in. Why does he work the way he does? Why does God do things? <laughs> God forgive me what about Sam just being real honest here, but it just seems like God can be so frustrating sometimes. It's like a kid with his parents. Dad, you are so stinking frustrating. Why can't I have this? I thought it towards my dad. I promise you, my poor kids have thought it towards me. Why do you have to be such a jerk? Why are you so out of tune and out of touch? I need this now. But my kids, for the most part, have followed Dad's advice. And looking back in hindsight, I think they're doing pretty good. As a matter of fact, they've told me on occasion that you were right. And you have to make the right decision. The Bible says clearly, and we all know it. God said, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither your ways my ways. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than yours. For as the rain cometh down, and the snow from heaven, and returneth not thither, but water covereth the earth, and make it bring forth and bud, that it may give seed to the sower, and bread to the eater. So my word be that goeth, so my, shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in the thing whereto I sent it. God's ways are higher than ours. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. He doesn't do things like we would do them. He doesn't think like us. But there's a lesson that I have learned, and that is that His Word does not return void. The storms of life come to everybody, even the child of God. Sometimes God calms the storm, and other times He just gets on board with us and calms the child and rides out the storm with us. Deliverance might be delayed right now, but keep on waiting. On the Lord, we look at the life of the Apostle Paul and say, what a great man. I wish I could be like, more like Paul. Oh, really? You want to be more like Paul? <clears throat> Let's look a little bit closer at his life. He said, for we would not, brethren, have you ignorant of our trouble, which came to us in Asia, that we were pressed out of measure above strength and so much that we despaired even of life. But we had the sentence of death in ourselves, that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God which raiseth from the dead, who delivered us from so great a death and doth deliver, 
in whom we trust that He will yet deliver us. So notice that even the great and infamous Apostle Paul had trouble. He despaired of life. He had a death sentence in him. He stated that he would not trust himself but in God, and God delivered him from death. He trusted what God said. He went on to say, We're troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. We're persecuted, but not forsaken. We're cast down, but not destroyed. Always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. Again, he spoke of the Jews five times received our 40 stripes, save one. Five times he was beaten with 39 stripes. Thrice I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Thrice I suffered shipwreck. And night and day I've been in the deep. In journeyings often, in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils by the heathen, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren in weariness and painfulness, in watchings often, in hunger and thirst, and fastings often, in cold and naked, beside those things with that are without, that which cometh upon me daily, the care of all the churches. Paul was a man that was used greatly by God, but he was also a man that suffered much for God. Paul suffered much pain, but what brought him through was his attitude toward the pain He cared much more about the glory of God resting on him than he did the pain that he felt in and around him. That is why his pain was turned into pleasure. He said, And lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations, there was given me a thorn in my flesh, the messenger of Satan, to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. For this thing I besought the Lord three times, that it might depart from me. And he said unto me, My grace... It's sufficient for thee, my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities and reproaches and necessities and persecution and distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. It's not normal to take pleasure and infirmity and adversity. But the thing that Paul learned was that you trust in God in spite of what you're going through. He learned that it's the pain of suffering that is at times the steadying influence in our life. The heavy burden can actually act as a ballast for us. Dr. Thomas A. Lambie, a medical missionary to Africa, told about how he forded many swift and bridgeless streams. The danger in crossing such streams lies in being swept off your feet and carried downstream to greater depths and hurled to death on hidden rocks. Dr. Lambie learned from the African people the best way to make such a hazardous crossing They taught him a lesson. They taught him that you find a very large stone, the heavier, the better. And you lift it to your shoulder and you carry it across the stream. Why? 
because the extra weight of the stone keeps your feet solid on the bed of the stream while crossing. Dr. Lambie drew this application. While crossing the dangerous streams of life, enemies constantly seek to overthrow us and rush us down to ruin. We need the ballast of burden bearing. We need the ballast of burden bearing. A load of affliction to keep us from being swept off our feet. Martin Luther once said, Ah, affliction is the best book in my library. Walter Knight tells of an American tourist who had just seen the Passion play. Approaching Mr. Lang, who played the part of Christ, he asked, May I be photographed with you while I lift your cross? The tourist stooped to lift the cross, but he couldn't. He exerted more energy, but he still could not lift it. And looking at Mr. Lang, he said, Your cross is certainly heavy. Mr. Lang said, Sir, I cannot represent Christ with a light one. In life, it will be the grievous things that help lift us up to heaven. So why does God allow the trials that all of us have been through, particularly this year? Why does God allow that to come to us? Why does God allow the pain to come that is so intense it seems that it's difficult to even breathe? Why does God allow us to weep and cry over and over again about the same crisis? For some of us, our pillow is wet with tears at night. We cry out to God, but it seems like He's not listening. You put a smile on your face when you deal with the world, but deep down inside you're broken. There's a lot of pain. What can you do at a time like this? Job went through that kind of adversity. Hagar went through a desperate situation. Naomi went through extreme difficulty. Hannah went through a time of uh, a trying, dark time in her life. Jacob feared for his life when Esau was coming to kill him. David was surrounded by his own men that wanted to stone him. Even the apostle Paul was stoned and left for dead. Peter came to this conclusion in his epistle. He said, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you as though some strange thing has happened to you. But rejoice inasmuch as you're partakers of Christ's suffering that when His glory shall be revealed you may be glad also with exceeding joy. The fire, flood, storms, difficulties, adversity. All of these things are to try our faith and to help us understand that God is just trying simply to teach us a lesson of trust. I have found it difficult through the years to trust people that I know and love and I think they love me in return. It's been hard for me to trust them, though, when I knew they could help me, but they didn't. That does something to me. I have memories 
of my past, even going all the way back to to, to my childhood, that there were people around me. There were people when my dad passed away. There were people when I got married. Sister Murphy and I on several occasions fell on desperate times. They could help. They could write a check and all of my troubles would go away for a little while, but they never did. Never happened. God was teaching me a lesson. He wanted me to understand who my provider was. It wasn't the people... It wasn't the people that I thought would be my provider. He wanted me to take that up with him. And when I learned that he would provide for me as I needed, and he often did it through people, but he did it, and he got the glory for it. Yes, he did. We've made offering commitments when we didn't have the money, but God supplied the money through people. Most of the time I had to work for it, but he nonetheless supplied the money. There's been occasions with my kids that I've put all my faith and trust in doctors and I knew they could help me. And I felt that sinking feeling of despair when they returned and said, I can't help. God taught me a lesson. When I've wanted my way, I'm talking to somebody here today, I'm talking to a lot of people here today. When I wanted my way, I never wanted God to condone my sin. I never wanted God to condone my being worldly and compromising. There's times that I've stood for the Word of God and I've preached it with all of my might and thought that maybe now God would smile on me and just, I've stood tall in conviction, I've stood tall on the Word of God and just, maybe just this once God would just say, okay, I'll give you what you want. Oftentimes He did, but not when I wanted and not even when I thought, I needed. You've all heard the story of, I still don't understand why God didn't work it out for us to buy this building right away that we had to wait 14 months. I still don't understand that. God, we're, we're wanting to do this for you. Can you make something happen here? But God makes all things beautiful in His time. While you stand with me this morning, I even want to take that a step further. I remember the passing of my brother's granddaughter a number of years ago. Sitting there in the funeral, the pastor said something along this line. He said, God has guaranteed me that this little four-year-old girl would be healed and be completely normal. She had a lot of physical problems and passed away. It's devastating to that family. My brother and his sweet wife grieved over that for months and years. They still miss that little girl, even though it happened a long time ago, and certainly her parents do. But the pastor said that God has guaranteed me her healing, and I sat up straight and kind of opened my eyes wide and I thought, she's right in front of you, right there in front of the pulpit in a casket. What do you mean by that? And he went on to explain that sometimes God gives a pre-affliction miracle. Listen to me. You, none of us know how many times our lives could have been taken 
when the traffic was bad and we went home a different way. God may have saved you from a fatal accident. Y'all on board with that? It's the pre-affliction miracle. It doesn't happen. God spares you from it ever happening. And then there's the mid-trial and tribulation miracle. It's where God comes, Brother Billy, to an emergency room and assures everybody that that little baby is still going to be okay. Those twin babies are going to be okay. So in the middle of all of that adversity, and those two babies are here today. They're growing up, but they're here. God provided and performed an amazing mid-affliction miracle. The good pastor said that day pertaining to the four-year-old deceased little girl in front of his pulpit that God has promised to completely restore her and make her whole. As a matter of fact, when she breathed her last breath and made her ascent to that glory world, she was perfectly well when she got there. That was the perfect miracle. And it's the post-affliction miracle. So even when God doesn't heal our loved ones and they die. A very prolific prophetical preacher said, my daddy would not die that God would heal him. He died anyway. And I questioned that for years, for years, until I realized that perhaps a prophecy meant that he would not ever die again there and would be completely healed there. There's a lesson, there's a lesson that we all must learn. And it's found in Ecclesiastes, God makes all things beautiful, all things, everything. In His time, when we trust Him. When you live and devote your life to God, you will never end up on the final day, on the short end of the stick. I'm being very bold and courageous. We've lost a lot of preachers to COVID this year, a lot of them. Sister Murph and I, more her than me perhaps, have sat around the house and talked about it, discussed it, and why God, why God, why God. But there's coming a day, and I believe it with all of my heart. It's the old hymn we used to sing out of the book when I was a child. We'll understand it better by and by. I don't understand it here. I believe there's coming a day when we probably won't even ask the question. When we get to that glory world and we're reunited with all of our loved ones, it's not even going to matter what happened here and how it happened and all of that. We think it will, but I think when we get over there, it's not going to make any difference. We're just glad we made it and we will be living out the fulfillment that God makes all things beautiful in this time. So, Moses, I know you're being persecuted pretty heavy and you got a lot of questions and Pharaoh's bearing down on my people. <laughs> and I did send you there and I told you, you I was going to deliver them through you, but it just ain't my time yet. And you're going to be okay because I make all things beautiful in my time. 
There's people here this morning, you've sat in my office, or I've sat in your living room, we've sat in restaurants. I've watched tears pour down your face as you've questioned why, God, why, why, why? Sometimes I despaired with you. I didn't have an answer. I very rarely have any answers. Not anymore. Just bottom line, trust God. I I don't know what else to say. But I look into some of your faces now and remember the times that we've walked through together how it seems so hopeless, so helpless. No light at the end of the tunnel. (laughs) But here you are. There's someone here this morning that went through one of the greatest times of despair I've ever known. And we matched, we went eye to eye, toe to toe, nose to nose. Every time this person would say, but God did and God said and God promised and this happened and that happened, I'd roar back, but I still stand on the Word of God. This person is here today. I still trust Him. If you'll stay in love with Him, He'll get you through this. They're here today, and all through this service, their hands was outreached. They were reaching up to heaven. They're worshiping. They're clapping. I've heard them laugh. I've heard them rejoice. I've seen the burden lifted. Why? Because God makes all things beautiful. Oh, God, I feel the Holy Ghost here today. There's somebody here that, there's somebody's here. The same thing maybe can't be said about you that was said about Abraham when the Bible said he staggered not at the promise of God. Maybe. There's some people here today. The Bible is full of people that staggered at the promise of God. Simon Peter did it. Denied Jesus not once, not twice, three times. I don't know the man! But even in a place of denial, in a place of betrayal, in a place of adverse circumstance, God is still mighty to bring you back to Him and restore unto you everything that you've lost. The Bible prophesied that He can restore what the canker worm and the palmer worm and all of those insects stand for certain things and represent certain things. There's no part of your life, no element that's missing out of your life that God can't restore you back. Even the prodigal said, even the prodigal realized In the parable that Jesus told, notice where he got his revelation from. Notice where he was at when he got that revelation. The Bible said he was feeding swine and he was sharing their trough with them. He was gone about as far from the Father's house as one could get. And it seemed to be an impossible situation. And a light came on in his head and said, How many hired servants of my Father's house has bread and enough to spare? And why am I wallowing here in this hog pen? God taught him a lesson. I have never left thee, says the Lord. I have never forsaken thee. 
Even when you walk away, I'm still with you. You never leave my presence. You've not gone beyond the reach of my hand. And now you question why have certain things come into my life. Yes, I allowed you. I have set before you an open door that you can exit any time you please. But you never leave my presence. I am God and I am always with you. And I promise you again, I will not forsake you. Neither will I leave you comfortless. Listen to my word. Listen to the voice of the man of God. And hear what I have to say unto you. If you will give your life to me. If you will commit to me. I never cease to direct your paths and I will not cease now. If you will trust in me, I will teach you how to navigate your life. I will show you what path to follow. I will lead you to the destiny and to the purpose that I have for you. I speak to you because I am God and I know all things. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And if I do not take away your affliction... I will be with you and guide you through your affliction. Come unto me, says the Lord. I remember, it's been several months ago now, I think, Brother Ben preached a sermon never forgotten it. I still think of it often when you get that invitation in the mail. He used the one pertaining to Hannah, his daughter, when she got married. But you can get an invitation to a supper, to a wedding, to a great event, to an event of celebration. Throw that invitation away. You don't have to go. It's disappointing when you don't because you were specifically invited. God is doing that here today. He's given people an invitation to come back to my class. Let me teach you a lesson about life, about trust, about completeness, about fulfillment. As they begin to sing, I want to open up the front of the church as our custom is. And as you feel comfortable to do so, I'm going to ask you to gather around. But I'm going to ask you to do some soul searching here today. Submit to God's lesson. Submit to the subject matter. And let Him teach you that if you'll trust Him, He'll guide your steps and your life will end up far better than if you choose to orchestrate your life yourself without Him. I'm asking somebody to reach your hand out to the Lord. Let Him take you by the hand and lead you back to Him. Lead you back to His presence. Yes, he does. Would you reach heavenward today? Would you reach Godward here today? Would you reach out for the Word of God here today? Would you reach out to His promise? Would you grab a hold 
of the promise of God today. Somebody, somebody talk to the Lord. Come on, somebody, do what your heart is begging you to do right now. Do what your spirit is pleading with you to do right now. Your heart is hungry for Him. God, I want so bad to be in your will and in your purpose. Come on, somebody talk to him. Somebody talk to the Lord. Somebody talk to the Lord. <laughs> 